Now this is the word of the Lord. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son, the priest, shall throw the blood against the side of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 19, we'll read from verse 5 through 6. Leviticus 19, verse 5. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after. And anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Even though Leviticus is probably one of the most neglected books in the Bible, uh, this book actually offers one of the most important messages. Leviticus is a book that tells us how we can draw near to God and be in His presence. Now, I recall when I was in high school, it took me about two hours uh, just to get to school. Uh, The bus ride alone was 90 minutes. Uh, on an average, or a good day. But once I arrived at the building, it took close to 30 minutes to actually get inside. Uh, First, uh, there was only one entrance, so you can imagine at a time about a thousand students just trying to get in. But once you got past the first doors, there was an ID card machine where every student had to put their ID card into the machine. Now, this machine made sure that you were a student at that school, but it also made sure that you were on time. You see, this ID card actually had your schedule, and so if you arrived too early, they wouldn't let you in because the building was so crowded. And, of course, if you were late, they would mark you late. After passing through the ID card machine, you would take your coat and your bags, and you would put it through the X-ray scanner while you walked through a metal detector. And once you've done all of this, once you've put your ID card in the machine, waited online, gotten through the scanner, once you've done all of this, the students were allowed to walk into the hallways of the school and get to class. This took about 30 minutes every morning. Now, some of you might be thinking, why does Leviticus make it so difficult and cumbersome to enter into God's presence? Why are there so many requirements and stipulations and observances just to be near God? I mean, isn't God magnanimous and gracious and loving and kind? Well, I think we've forgotten the fact that when it comes to entering into a sacred space or being in the presence of something exclusive or just experiencing something awesome, we can't just haphazardly stroll right in whether it's a government building or air travel space, uh, whether it's an exclusive party or a hit Broadway show, 
whether it's a famous restaurant or a sold-out concert, we don't have free access to these things just because we want them. You know, it took me 30 minutes to get into my high school every morning. Friends, Leviticus is about the most exclusive meeting. It's about being in the presence of the most awesome being. And when you frame it this way, when you think about this book in this light, all of this, all the stipulations, requirements, it wasn't an inconvenience for God's people. It was actually a privilege. Now, for the past few weeks, um, we've started looking at Leviticus and the opening chapters, and we see that Leviticus opens with sacrifices. And just to refresh your memory, here are the, here's the order of uh, the sacrifices. First, the worshiper would come, and he or she would offer the sin and guilt offering. Right? And through this offering, the worshiper would be cleansed and forgiven of their wrongdoing. Next, the worshiper would bring a burnt offering, and it's through the burnt offering he or she would consecrate themselves. They would dedicate themselves to the Lord. And the last step of worship was called a peace offering. And this is what I want to examine today. Now, the way in which the peace offering was presented was very similar to uh, some of the other offerings. I'm sure for those of you who've been reading, you've noticed that, oh, it sounds very similar. The worshiper brings an animal without blemish. Uh, The worshiper would lay his or her hand on the animal. The animal would be slaughtered, and the blood would be thrown against the side of the altar. It's very similar in terms of cadence and practice. However, with the peace offering, there is one distinguishing mark, and that is part of the animal would be burned, and the remaining part would actually be returned to the worshiper. And with this, the worshiper would take the remains of the animal, and he would go and prepare a meal. And the the worshiper would eat this meal with his friends and his family in the presence of God. I know that this might seem just like a small wrinkle, but I think this has massive implications for how we understand worship, how we understand our relationship with God, and most importantly, how the gospel informs us and changes us. You see, according to the Bible, a meal is not just a meal. Uh, A meal represents something more. In the Bible, a meal symbolizes friendship, unity, fellowship, and acceptance. To share a meal meant that you were not only sharing the food that was in front of you, but you were actually giving yourselves to one another. And to a certain extent, I think this is true today, right? If there's someone that you don't like, you can work with that person. If there's someone you don't like, you could have a conversation with that person. But it's really difficult to actually share a meal with someone you don't like. I don't know if you've ever tried it before, but the food doesn't taste the same, and it doesn't go down the same. You have digestive problems afterwards. If you eat with someone you just really do not like. On the other hand, if there's someone you enjoy, someone's presence that you you enjoy and you get along with, the best thing to do is to share a meal, to host, 
to be invited. And if, you, if there's someone that you want to reconcile with, maybe a broken relationship or a relationship that needs repair, what do you do? The best way is to share a meal. You know, just by reaching out and saying, you know, can we have lunch sometimes? Can we have dinner next week? That's an invitation to something more. That's an invitation to actually fellowship and to commune. That's an invitation for reconciliation. This is what's going on in worship. I want you to think about this. This is the way in which God presents worship. He offers worship. He prescribes worship to the people of Israel. Think, think about this liturgy or this order, right? Put yourself in the shoes of the worshiper. You begin by first offering up a sin offering. And through the sin offering, your sins are forgiven, your guilt is washed away. How do you feel? You feel clean, right? Then you go and you offer the burnt offering. And the burnt offering, what you do is you're dedicating yourself, you're giving yourself to the Lord. You say, Lord, here I am, take all of me. And what do you feel? You feel like you have purpose again. But it doesn't end there because the last part of worship is a peace offering. It's a peace offering through which you and your loved ones share a meal in the presence of God. It's as if God is hosting a meal. It's as if God has invited you into his house, his tabernacle, and you sit and you eat and you fellowship with him. And when you do this, what do you feel? You feel accepted. You feel clean. You feel like you have a purpose. And you feel accepted. You know, this is uh, Psalm 36. This is the psalmist actually thinking about worship that's going on in the tabernacle. And he says this, They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of light, life, and in your light do we see light. See, this is the way in which the worship ends. It begins with being cleansed, it climaxes with the worshiper giving himself, and it ends with a meal where you and God sit face to face and enjoy fellowship and communion. And so when this worship is all over, it ends not with the worshiper leaving, asking the question, what now shall I do? But it ends with the worshiper leaving, uttering to himself, I am accepted by the Lord. You know, this idea of a meal and acceptance and unity, fellowship and communion with God isn't just found in the worship in Leviticus but it's found all throughout the Bible. And it's especially embodied and fulfilled in Jesus' ministry. Friends, do you know um, what Jesus did the most during his earthly ministry? It wasn't leading worship services. It wasn't praying with the people, which in fact he did. It wasn't doing miracles. But the thing that Jesus did the most, it was eating. It was eating with his disciples. It was eating with those who opposed him, the Pharisees. It was eating with the outcast, eating with the rejected. Whenever Jesus had a moment or, an, or the opportunity, 
Jesus was constantly sharing a meal with people. He ate so much that he was accused of being a glutton. Now, the reason why Jesus spent most of his time eating with the people was because by so doing, Jesus was showing, he was showing to the people that his work on the cross was going to usher in the ultimate banquet where you and I would be invited and given free, limitless access to God. The reason why Jesus constantly shared a meal was because it was his goal, it was his purpose to show that he was here not just to take care of business and leave, but to usher in the ultimate banquet through which we have limitless access, free access, constant access to fellowship with a holy God. This is the reason why heaven, when it's described in the Bible, um, heaven isn't described as a long Bible study. Uh, Heaven isn't described as this long service that's akin to something like Catholic Mass on Christmas morning. Heaven isn't this long prayer meeting. But whenever heaven is described, it's described as a banquet, as a party. It's described in Revelation 19 as a wedding feast. This is Isaiah 25, as it looks forward to this day, to heaven itself. It says this, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. This is heaven. This is what the scriptures are looking forward to, and this is what Jesus has ultimately fulfilled in his death and his resurrection. You see, heaven is described as a feast because heaven is the ultimate place where God and man commune and fellowship. And the reason why we have the peace offering in Leviticus and the reason why we have communion in church today is because worship is but a dim reflection of all that is in store. Heaven is, uh, worship is but a dim reflection of heaven that is to come. This is the reason why when we gather We gather not just to offer up ourselves, but we gather to commune and fellowship with God. You know, again, as I said, I know that this is just a small wrinkle. And, you know, when I realized what the peace offering was, it it, it sort of blew my mind and and I had to rework a lot of things. And, you know, let me just share with you two things two practical points that might be helpful as we think about worship and, and this peace offering and, and what the gospel means. Uh, two things. The first thing is this. Uh, the peace offering points forward. It shows that, that in Jesus, that God accepts you. Very simple. In Jesus, God accepts you. It seems that God understands that it's not enough for us just to be forgiven. 
It's not enough for us just to have purpose. But what you and I deeply need is affirmation. What you and I deeply and desperately need is acceptance. We need God to not only say, you're forgiven, but we need God to say, you're accepted. I know the two sounds the same, but they're not. They are, they're drastically different. And, and this is the point that I want to hammer home today because I think Christians, we, we mightily struggle with this. If you are a believer, I think you, you most likely you are struggling with this. Because as a Christian, we know that we're forgiven. But if you really examine your life, we actually go about living our lives as if we're just net neutral, as if God's forgiveness only made us neutral with Him. And because we feel as though we're only neutral with Him, we go about living our lives trying to earn God's goodness, His favor, His pleasure. We go about living our lives trying to earn God's acceptance. Friends, if you are a Christian, and if you see and you examine yourself living every day, trying to earn His acceptance while not living in His acceptance, while not living in His pleasure, you got it backwards. And this morning, I want to remind you of that, and I want to invite you to God's table once again. You know, this reminds me, you know, when I was in high school, there was a pizza store that I used to frequent. It was only a few blocks away from the school that I attended. And I went there so often that the owner knew, um, he knew me. He didn't know my name, um, but he knew that I was the, the skinny Asian kid who came in around 420 and ordered the same thing, two plain slices of pizza. Uh, after high school... Uh, Time went by, and I didn't have a chance to go out there because it was so out of the way. But coincidentally, because of social media and the internet, the pizzeria blew up. It was often ranked in magazines and food channels as the best pizza in New York City, which means the best pizza in the world, (laughs) but the best pizza in New York City. And as a result of that, as a result of all this publicity, Uh, The lines became so much longer. It was close to 30 minutes to an hour wait for a slice of pizza. And the store doubled their price to $5 a slice. It's extremely expensive. Um, The name of the store is Tafara, and some of you might have visited the store, but it's often ranked as the best, the best. Now, when all of this happened, uh, I was in college, and, you know, I thought, you know what? I should go back and visit. I should visit my good friend Don. So I went to the pizzeria, hoping that Don would recognize me. I waited on the long line, uh, and when I finally got to the front and ordered my slice, I uh, made a lot of eye contact, coupled with uh, a number of just friendly yet awkward smiles, like, hey, you remember me? (laughs) Like, hey. You know, I was hoping that uh, Don would remember me, and acknowledge me, maybe give me a little nod or a wink, and maybe a little more basil on my pizza. I, I wasn't seeking some sort of special treatment. I think I was just seeking acknowledgement. And I know this is really embarrassing to say as 
it, this is really embarrassing, but I was actually really hurt um, that he couldn't recognize me. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it didn't end there. Because whenever I had the chance, I would then go back to the store. I'd visit as much as I can after the incident to try to earn his favor. Now, I didn't expect him to meet me at the door. I didn't expect him to welcome me in. I didn't expect him to even know my order. I didn't expect him to sit down at the table with me and to share this delicious pizza. I wasn't expecting any of that. I just wanted some acknowledgement that, you know what? I was with you before you became big. I just wanted some acknowledgement that, you know, I recognized game. You know, game recognized game. That's what I wanted, really. I just wanted him to say, you know what? You're a loyal customer. Thank you. You know, it's a silly story, but I'm sure you can resonate in your own ways. I'm sure you have both your silly and your serious stories of how you constantly live your life seeking acceptance from others. It might be from friends, your boss. It might be your parents, your loved ones. It might be your children. You know, much of our life is spent trying to earn the favor and the acceptance of people we admire and adore, of people we hold dear. You know, when you contrast this way of life, the way we live, of always trying to earn acceptance from others, when you contrast this way of life with what the gospel offers, grace becomes all the more amazing. Because the gospel tells us that not only are we forgiven, but it tells us we are accepted. It tells us that we are accepted not because of who you are, but the gospel tells us we are accepted despite who we are because of Jesus. And this is a truth that you constantly have to wrestle and fight with. Because I think the majority of you will acknowledge, I am forgiven, my sins are forgiven, I am made clean. But you will constantly wrestle with the fact that in God, in Christ, I am accepted. I am accepted. The second practical truth that I I think this this peace offering shows us, this, this concept of a meal shows us, is that in Jesus God desires you. So the first, in Jesus, God accepts you. And the second is, in God, in Jesus, God desires you. You know, when you think about the peace offering, you know, it's interesting because it shows that God, He's actually quite invested in you. That God is interested in you. That God desires communion and fellowship with you. He wants a real relationship with you where you're not just a tool, you're not just a chess piece, you're not just a soldier, but you're a real person. And he knows your name, he knows your personality, he desires that you grow in intimacy and fellowship with him. You know, when you think about the cultic practice and this this worship that was going on in the wilderness, I mean, you could just imagine the lines that are going out the door and the people who are just waiting, waiting to get their chance 
And when you think about this worship service, you know, it's the last thing it is is efficient. It's not an efficient service. And you would imagine, right, if this temple worship or this tabernacle worship is going on, the easiest way is to just move the line along, right, to just quickly run through the service, quickly do it. And, you know, this last part, which is the longest part, the peace offering, this meal, you know, forego that, get rid of that. It's taking up too much time. We have people waiting. But it's interesting that when it comes to worship, that it ends with the longest part. It ends with a meal. See, God is not just churning out worshipers. Okay, come in, come out. Come in, come out. You know, take attendance. Make, you know, do the checklist. Make sure you've done everything in and out, in and out. It's not about that. It's about God actually dining fellowshipping, communing with you. This is what Jesus says in Revelation 3.20 as he's talking to the church, the church in Philadelphia. He's talking to believers. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. I think this shows the heart of our Lord and Savior, where he just doesn't want to bring you into his kingdom, but he actually wants to dine and commune and fellowship with you. If you think about all that now Leviticus is showing, how Leviticus gives us this access this access to an exclusive being, the most awesome being, you can see that all of this wasn't an inconvenience, but it was a privilege. And we now have that same privilege in and through Jesus. About uh, five years ago, uh, the most exclusive event, or at least what I, what I think was the most exclusive event, was a Broadway musical uh, that was uh, in hip-hop, written by then a 33-year-old American with roots from Puerto Rico, uh, a Broadway show about the American Revolution. And that show was Hamilton. I doubt that anyone in here has ever seen the first cast. Um, But that was the most exclusive show Uh, It didn't matter who you were or how much money you had. I mean, you needed real prestige to actually get a ticket to watch Hamilton. Uh, At at the peak of the show, uh, there was a a philanthropist who decided, you know what, I'm going to donate tons of money so that this exclusive show will go not just to the rich and to the famous, but it would go to the, under, the underprivileged, the low-income families of New York City. And this person donated tons of money, and the goal was to bring 20,000 New York City 11th graders, all from schools um, with low-income families. And they were to be brought in to see this exclusive, exclusive show. The The... The creator of this show, Lin-Manuel Miranda, decided when these students come, 
that not only will they be shown this amazing and awesome and exclusive musical, but he would actually sit down with the students and help contextualize the show. His goal was to educate and to spend time with the students of New York City. After the show, this man, who was probably at the peak of his power, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who was, you know, the, at, at that time, the most wanted man in show business, he spent his time after the show showing the students the theater, showing the students uh, the production, introducing him to the cast. And he actually spent a lot of time just getting to know each and every student. And, you know, the students said when they watched the show, when they watched the show from the balcony, for the first time, these students from these underprivileged homes, they said they felt like they were Americans. When they got free access, when they got this amazing access to this exclusive show and to this man, they said, for the first time, I felt like an American. It changed who I was. Friends, this is the offer of the gospel. That when you and I come to worship the Lord in and through the work of Jesus, we are not coming just to check in and out. We're not coming to clock in and out. God is not churning out worshipers, but he actually wants you to come, to sit, to dine, to fellowship. He desires you, and he wants you to know this morning that in Jesus, you are accepted. Would you join me in prayer at this time?